0: Today we are continuing to go through the book of Mark. Um, last week we saw kind of about the the true authority of Jesus and how people kind of misunderstand that. And yes, they do get good things from Jesus. Being healed is a great thing. Um, being Having a demon cast out of you, also a great thing. But if that's all you're getting from Jesus, then you're missing the main point. And what we're going to see this morning is Jesus is going to begin to clarify Um, what that really looks like and what that really means. And he's going to do it in kind of an unexpected way. And so we're going to see some unexpected things. And because I don't want you to know what's happening, even though most of you probably already know the story, we're going to read it as we go instead of read it all up front. And so if you would like to turn with us, we are in Mark chapter 2. It's page 888 in your pew Bible. If you're there here with us, um, if you're following along, um, you can open it up in the U-Version Bible app. Um, if you go to more and then events, our events should up, show up for you in the scriptures and the sermon points will already be there for you. So let's start and read the first couple of verses. And it says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying, and that's where we're going to stop first. So just imagine this, right? A house full of people, they can't get in because of the crowd, but they don't give up. They go up on the roof and just so you know architecture of the day most houses had a flat roof Um, if you know ryan and isla who are usually here their house is right across the street they have a flat roof and when they were building it everybody was like what is going on with this house Um, but that's what they have so imagine a staircase on the outside to get up to the roof um, for a place to store things and even to sometimes sleep on hot nights so you would get a nice breeze up there Um, So, that's kind of what you should imagine. And so, when they get up on the roof, it's a roof made of mud and sticks, and they begin to dig through it. And eventually, they get a hole big enough to lower their friend down through in front of Jesus. Now, this, I think, would have been pretty unexpected for the people who were in the house. Um, They were listening to Jesus, um, trying to learn, understand what he's talking about, and then all of a sudden, like, a guy comes through the roof. But not really all of the sudden if you think about it because when you start digging through a roof made of mud and sticks, right, first you're going to maybe hear a noise and then you're going to hear like little flakes of dust coming down and then chunks of dirt and then the light breaks through and you're going to be like, oh, it's really bright in here all of a sudden. And actually to get a hole big enough to put a person through, like we're not talking like, oh, they made a little hole and they could see everybody. No, big enough for a person. It's going to take a while Um, And the people sitting below the hole are definitely going to notice that there's stuff coming through the ceiling and landing on them, right? It's a pretty surprising, unexpected entry for this. But what do we see in these guys who make this unexpected entry? And before we get there, fun fact, when I imagined this story for my whole life, I imagined there were four guys who went up on the roof and dropped him through. But if you look really closely, it says... They came bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them, meaning there was more than four guys in this crowd bringing their friend, but only four of them actually lowered him through. So it was like, oh, I always pictured just four guys doing this, but they had a group together. So that's a fun fact that I learned this week. I don't know if you saw it the same way, but that's what I did. So what we see in these guys is that they were persistent and they were full of faith. They had heard the stories of Jesus healing people, Um, And they believed that he could heal their friend. And they were going to be persistent. They were going to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. A crowd wasn't going to stop them. A roof wasn't going to stop them. They wanted their friend to get help. They were intent on getting him to Jesus, whatever it took. Which made me ask the question this week of myself, and now I'm asking you, How intent are we on getting to Jesus? Right? Are we persistent? Are we intent and saying, nothing's going to stop me from getting to Jesus today? Or do we say things like, well, I was pretty busy today, so I really didn't have time. Or I was tired. Or I don't really know what to do. I'm not sure how to pray, or I'm not good at reading my Bible. Or if you aren't a believer, you may even say, Well, Jesus could never forgive me, and I'm not good enough, and all of these things that prevent us from really seeking Him. Right? But are we persistent? Are we intense? Do we say, Nothing is going to stop me from getting to Jesus because we believe that He can? help us. So just like these friends, we need to be persistent on a daily basis of seeking Jesus, of sitting before him, of seeking his word, of praying to him. And I think their persistence was strengthened by their faith. They truly believed that Jesus could help their friend. If there was any doubt in, I think, any of them, somebody would have said, I'm not really sure he can heal him. I don't think it's worth digging a hole in somebody's roof for this, right? But no, they were all completely convinced that Jesus could help their friend and nothing was going to stop them. So their belief moved them to action. Their faith strengthened their resolve. It didn't lead them to just saying, I believe that Jesus can do it And I hope that he comes by, or he comes to our town, or he comes to our house. No, they were going to go find him to make sure that they got in front of Jesus. Yes, we do need to believe that Jesus can help, but we need to let that faith drive us to action, to seeking him, to living that out. And so they drop a guy through the roof. Now we're going to see the reaction in verse 5, we're going to get an unexpected response from Jesus. And he says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So a guy comes through the roof, lands at Jesus' feet, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Right? Not quite the response you would expect in this situation. And I think on a couple of levels, first, if I'm preaching and we start hearing noises and a guy starts coming down through the roof, um, especially if I feel like I'm doing a decent job, I might be a little frustrated that this guy has interrupted my sermon and my teaching and has distracted all of you. And now nobody's going to remember anything that I said. The only thing you're going to remember about this day is that, hey, a guy came through the roof at church today. Right? So, Jesus doesn't get frustrated, he doesn't get upset, he doesn't get angry, um, he just keeps going. And second, right, the whole reason those guys lowered him through the roof was so that their friend would be healed, so that he would be restored, so that he could walk. And so, they were expecting Jesus to say, you are healed, right? Not to say, your sins are forgiven. So even what he said is unexpected. And so some of what it's, why it seems unexpected is because it seems like saying your sins are forgiven is completely disconnected and completely irrelevant to someone who is a paralytic. However, it does make sense if we understand the background of sin and disease and forgiveness and healing and how those things are interrelated in the Old Testament and even Now, so in the Old Testament, disease and death were viewed as the consequences of man's sinful condition. And healing was predicated on God's forgiveness. Now, this doesn't mean that there's a corresponding sin for each sickness or illness or death. Um, Jesus is simply showing them this man's physical condition had a basic spiritual cause which we also believe, right? Sickness, disease, and death are the consequences of the sinful condition of all of us. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there, there was no sin, there was no death, there was no sickness. Everything was absolutely perfect, right? My back wouldn't be sore from moving 1,200 pumpkins. It would just keep going, and it would be great. It would be amazing, right? But then they fell to the the lies of the serpent and they ate the fruit and they tried to be God on their own. And since then, since sin entered the world when they did that, everything was broken. And sin and death and sickness entered the world. And so technically, every sin, every sickness, every disease, every death that happened since Adam and Eve is a result of the fall, is a result of sin being in the world which is why we say when we get to heaven, there won't, none of that stuff will exist anymore because sin will also not exist. And so it'll be perfect and we won't get sick and we won't die and all of those things will be perfect. So at a fundamental level, every disease has a sinful condition underlying it. And so Jesus is trying to connect those dots and say, look, The reason this person can't walk, the reason he's a paralytic is because his body is broken and it's not working the way it's supposed to. And that's a result of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Not specifically a result that he lied to his parents when he was a kid or something like that. Like, that's sometimes what we try to do, but it doesn't quite work that way. And so every healing, every healing is sort of a driving back, a pushing back of death And sin. And so that's why Jesus is saying, Your sins are forgiven. But what he's really doing here, I think, is he's actually giving this guy more than he wanted, more than his friends wanted. They just wanted to be healed, which is what we saw last week, right? Those guys, they just wanted to be healed. They just wanted their family members to be healthy. But Jesus gives us more because he understands that sin and death are the real issues the real issue for this guy who can't walk is not that he can't walk it's that he is lost and he is in need of a savior and so yes he can heal them but that's only going to last so long right even a paralytic who can walk is only going to be happy until he trips over something right and then he's going to be like well now I can walk now I have all of these new problems Right, and we don't stay happy for very long, and I think that's some of what Jesus wants us to see here. And so the question I have for us is: If God gave us what we wanted, how long would we be happy? How long would we be satisfied? How long would it last? If you had parents who said you could stay up late every night, right? How long would that last? How long would you be happy? If you had teachers who would always give you good grades? if you had bosses that always gave you promotions, if you had all the things that you wanted, all the things that you desired on earth, how long would it really make you happy? Um, there was a, a, a book I'm, I'm reading from Tim Keller about the Gospel of Mark, and he talks about this very issue, and he saw a study where somebody kind of researched celebrities and their lives and kind of their reaction, because every actor, every musician wants to make it big. And so they went and talked to the people who made it big and they were famous and they, now they had all this money and they said, well, are you more happy? Are you more satisfied? And they found over and over and over again that they were actually less satisfied than they were before they got all of that stuff. So when they actually got everything they thought they wanted, it still left them feeling empty. And so what Jesus is trying to get everybody in the room to understand is, if I heal this guy, yes, it's gonna be great but it's not going to last. What he really needs is forgiveness of sins. And so that's what he's doing. It's unexpected until you understand what he's doing. But then we get, in verse 6, we kind of get an expected question. This is kind of the response we would expect. So in verse 6 and 7, it says this, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so the scribes were sitting there. They were listening to Jesus teach. Then a guy drops through the ceiling. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And so they start thinking about it. He can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And so this question, who can forgive sins but God alone, is actually the center of this story. This is the question that what comes before and what comes after actually centers on. And this is the question that is being answered in the story this morning. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We've seen Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. Now the scribes begin to question it, and in a minute we'll see how Jesus responds to their questions. But before we go further on this, it's important to note that the belief at the time was truly that only God could forgive sins but we know a little bit because we're, you know, 2000 years ahead of where they were that Jesus is the Messiah, but even for them there is no reference in the Old Testament the Messiah would be able to forgive sins. So even if these people were beginning to believe that Jesus was the chosen one, he was the Messiah to come and make everything right, they wouldn't connect the dots that he would have the ability to forgive sins. It's not something they would be expecting. And so when they hear Jesus say that, they know from the law in the Old Testament that pretending to be God, saying you're God, saying you can do something that only God can do is blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy is stoning, meaning they throw rocks at you until you die. That's the penalty. And so they are essentially outraged. And so that's where they're at. But what's going on here? Um, if we understand this, I think, we'll, I think it's important to understand something here. It's about forgiveness. So if I walk over, just this is just an example, just to say up front, this would never happen. Um, if I walk over and I punch Dan, right, Dan's going to be pretty mad at me. And then if Jimmy comes over and says, Ben, I forgive you for punching Dan, he can't really do that right? Jimmy can't forgive me for punching Dan. I have to be forgiven by the person that I've offended. I have to be forgiven by Dan because that's how it works, right? Jimmy can say that, but we would just be like, well, okay, but that doesn't really do anything. That doesn't make it right. And so what we, I want you to see here is at a fundamental level, all of our sins are against God. Yes, they might be against each other. We might hurt somebody in the process. But all of our sins are ultimately breaking God's commands and His laws and falling short of the standard of holiness that He requires us to live. Which means exactly what Jesus says. Only God can forgive our sins. Right? Dan can forgive me for punching him. But I still need to be forgiven by God for violating His law and damaging one of His people, one of His creations. There can't be a third party that comes in and says, I forgive your sins. It doesn't work that way. Right? And so the only way to deal with your sins is to be forgiven by God. You can't do enough good things to be forgiven. You can't donate enough money. You can't help enough other people. You can't pretend that your sins didn't happen. Right? You may be able to set things right with other people, but ultimately, you have to set things right with God. And that's what the scribes are thinking about. Right? Only God can do that. Nobody else can do that. And so, how does Jesus respond to this? We see his response in verse 8. Through 12. And he says this Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say that of the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he got up, he took the mat, and he went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So Jesus' response, again, is unexpected. He's essentially going, look, I know what you're thinking. You think I can't really forgive sins. Well, I can tell you what you're thinking. So here's what I'll do. I'll prove that I can, heal, I can forgive sins by healing this guy. And by doing that, Jesus is basically saying, I am God and I can forgive sins. Now, there's a couple of things happening here with the way he's doing this um, that look we might not pick up on. So one is kind of a lesser to greater argument. And that argument goes like this. I can say... his his sins are forgiven, it's easy to say, right? I can say that. You can actually say, hey, your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove that, right? You can't prove that when I say your sins are forgiven that they're not actually forgiven, not immediately at least. There's no real outward sign that shows or proves that our sins are actually forgiven. And so Jesus says, okay, since you can't really prove that I can forgive sins, I'll heal him. And when he gets up and walks, which on the surface would be considered harder because you can actually see him get up and walk. So if he just lays there after you say I've healed him, then it doesn't go very far. People are just like, yeah, you can't really do that. But when the guy picks up his mat and walks out, they're like, oh, okay, he can actually heal people. And so the way this argument would go is because he can heal someone and it was verified because the guy who picked up his mat and walked off, then he can also forgive sins. So, they would consider the healing harder because you can verify it. And so, because the harder is true, the easier of forgiving sins is also true. But we also know that both of those things, the healing and the forgiveness of sins, are impossible unless God gets involved. On our own, in our own power, or in the power of another person, Healing can't and doesn't happen. Anyone who we think can heal, when we hear stories of healing and someone who's doing it, almost every single time, it's some other power that is working in them that causes the healing. It's not them by themselves. And we also can't forgive sins. We talked about that a minute ago, right? We can forgive sins against each other, but ultimately we need to be forgiven by God. And so unless God does something, neither of those can change. And so Jesus breaks in and he says, look, I can do both of these things. And because you can, you can see the one that I've done when healing, I can also forgive sins. And he makes a connection in here with, with the title that he uses. And he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, you will know the Son of Man has come to forgive sins. And so this title that Jesus uses comes out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And so this is what they say. Just listen to this as you imagine Jesus standing in this room with these people. This is a reference to the Son of Man and what he would do. It says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before Him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And so when Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man, this is the connection that He's making. That one day the Son of Man will come on the clouds and he'll be given dominion over the entire earth. And that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in this kingdom and it will last forever. So him using this title actually fits alongside what we saw last week when we see Jesus asking for silence. Especially when he would cast out demons. He wouldn't let them speak. And it was because he didn't want people to know who he was, at least not yet. And so for us, it might be obvious that the Son of Man and the connection to Daniel points to Jesus ruling over the earth because we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history and interpretation and commentaries and all of those things. But it wouldn't have been quite as clear to the listeners there. So, what's happening is Jesus is slowly revealing more and more of who he is, of who he really is, of what his true mission is. And he's giving people enough to connect the dots, but not so openly that he's thrust into the role of of the Messiah prematurely or in a misunderstood fashion. So, you might be thinking, well, it sounds a little bit like Jesus is trying to hide his identity from people. And is that how Jesus works? Does He, like, hide from us, um, or He hides the truth from us? And the easy answer to that is, no, He doesn't do that. God does not hide from us or hide the truth from us, but He also doesn't force Himself on us, right? He doesn't burst onto the scene. Jesus doesn't show up and just start giving ultimatums, right? Believe that I am fully the Messiah right now, or you're in trouble. That's not what he does. We see in Mark, and we're going to kind of see this all the way through, that he slowly reveals himself so that people can clearly and fully understand who he is and what he came to do. And I think that's how he works in our lives as well. He does give us enough to clearly understand who he is. But he leads us forward one step at a time. Allowing us to slowly put together the pieces to see the real truth, to understand more fully. And then one day the light comes on and we believe and we give our life to Him and we put our faith in Him. Or the light comes on and we have a fuller, deeper understanding of who He is and how He operates in our life. He leads us along almost like a trail of breadcrumbs one after another, to help us understand more deeply and more fully of who He really is. And so as we seek Him, He is also seeking us. He is drawing us closer to Him. And then when those two things meet, us seeking Him and Him seeking us, He draws us in and He restores us in salvation and in sanctification. He either brings us into a saving faith in Him Like this guy whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are dealt with, and our life is made new as we trust in him. Or if we're already believers, it gives us a deeper understanding, a sanctification allows us to be more holy in our lives and understand him deeply and live out something more fully. So Jesus, we see in this, does the unexpected. He doesn't respond the way that we expect, and when we give our lives to Him and we follow Him, it hardly ever leads to where we expect it to lead, right? If you think back to where you were whenever you became a Christian and think about everything that's happened since then, some of the things that happened in your life were distinctly because you were a Christian. If you were not a Christian, you would have made a completely different decision, Right? For me, that's pretty easy to do because I would not be here this morning teaching you um, about Jesus if that had never happened to me. Right? Um, you guys don't have quite as big an example of that, but I'm sure that you have something in your life that I would have done this completely differently if I didn't believe. But even if it's unexpected, even if it's harder than what we think it is, it's always better. It's always deeper than we can imagine. Those things that we long for, that we seek for, that we say, if I could just have this, everything would be good. But then we get that thing, and six months later, we're like, well, it lasted for six months, but now I need something else. See, Jesus doesn't let us down like that. He gives us something full and lasting and permanent And because only God can deal with your physical and spiritual brokenness, Jesus is telling us this morning that He is God and He can restore you. So if you're tired and what you're doing isn't working, then turn to Him. If everything is going well but it feels empty, turn to Him. Because yes, He can heal you physically and grant all of your desires. He can give you everything that you desire. But our real need is to have our sins forgiven. And only God can forgive our sins. And this morning, Jesus is telling us that He is God. I can forgive sins, which is good news for us right? Because there is nothing we can do to overcome or to make up for our sins against Him. The better news is, not only is Jesus able to forgive our sins, but He also came to earth specifically to pay the penalty for our sins, to pay the debt that our offense against God created. Which resulted in our physical and spiritual death and so he died in our place on the cross to set things right so that we could be set right with god for all eternity and as we trust him he actually gives us more than we could ask or imagine and those things that we desired just kind of melt away or fall away and they become less important Because we realize being with Jesus and having our sins forgiven is better than any of those other things. It's more full, it's more lasting, it's deeper than all of those things combined. And I wanted a a great transition to this statement, but I didn't come up with one this morning. But when I was reading through this just about the unexpected and what Jesus does in our life and how we can trust in him, it made me think of the, the quote from Chronicles of Narnia. And the, the children are there and they're about to meet Aslan, the lion. And they're like, Well, is he safe? And the, the, the beaver responds, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good and he's the king. And that's the reference to Jesus. If you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is a stand-in for Jesus. And so Jesus is unexpected. Is he safe? Is he going to give you all of your desires in an easy life? I don't think so. But he is good. And he is the king. And that's better than anything else we think we're going to get that the world has to offer. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have sent Jesus into the world. Yes, to forgive sins. Yes, to heal. And so we pray that as we seek you, as we turn to you, that we, um, whether we're we're, we're not yet believers, that we would repent and turn to you, that the, the light bulb would go on. And then we would say, I'm ready to trust in you, to put my hope in you, my faith in you, because everything in my life just seems like it isn't working the way it's supposed to. We know that, that you can, yes, give us temporary things, but you also change eternity for us by bringing us into your kingdom. And you do that through the, the death of Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It says we believe and trust in Him that we can have life, a full life. So God, I pray that if we are believers, that we would continue to seek You, that You would continue to draw us into a fuller understanding of who You are. Because I know in in my life, I still want those temporary things. I still think sometimes those temporary things are going to make me happy. They're going to make it better. If I just had a little bit more money or a little My kids behaved a little bit more or things were a little easier or I had less bills. All of those things would be easier. So I try to do those instead of seeking you. So help me to see those things that I'm trusting in, looking for, turning to other things instead of you. Because none of those things will really last. None of those things will satisfy. Only you will satisfy. So God, I thank you that you are alive, that you, yes, you came and sacrificed and you died, but you also rose from the dead, and so you are our living hope, not like the things that we turn and trust in, who who are dead and lifeless. So God, as we continue to seek you, to worship you, I pray that you will help us to remember that you are our living hope, that you can change things, you can change the trajectory of our lives by trusting in you In your name i pray amen